Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's give him a hand clap. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, I am thankful to be with you all here tonight worshiping Jesus. There's an awesome presence of God in this place, and this is your first time here. I want to welcome you. Um, and uh, thank you for coming. And if this is your 50th time here, your 500th or 5,000th time, thank you for coming. Um, and, uh, I want to remind everyone um, that we have the, if you're going to the Hayride, that is this Saturday, this Saturday at 4 o'clock, 4 o'clock. Um, and uh, if, you, if you're in MIT, I want to remind you to be here this Sunday at 8 o'clock. So, um, but with that, I don't know that I have anything else I'd like to highlight. Um, so all of our children, you can head back to your classes. And are we going to go ahead and have youth tonight? So youth, you can head back to your classes. And uh, I'm excited about the word of the Lord. We could, the rest of you, if you could turn over to the book of Judges, the book of Judges, I will turn over to the book of Judges, the book of Judges, I want to almost call it the book of the Judges, um, and we've been doing Judges and Ruth and Esther, and uh, we've heard some, some good word from the Lord, I want to thank um, Bishop and Pastor Jeremy for the word of the Lord that they've delivered to us this month. Um, but I'm going to, I'll start out here. We'll read Judges chapter 3. And uh, um, I'm going to start at verse 20. It says, So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. And then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed around the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly. And his entrails came out. It's kind of gross and disgusting. The King James Version says, and the dirt came out, and I've always found that just, I don't know, I read that and find it a little bit cool. So Ehud's one of my, um, one of my favorite uh, guys just because of the story. Um, and so we'll, we'll stop right there. But Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to us tonight. God, speak to us from your word. Lord, change our lives, change our hearts. And Lord, we want to draw closer to you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Um, tonight, my title is going to be Praise Will Overcome. Praise Will Overcome. Um, but before we get there, I know Jeremy, he did a, um, a great overview and, and did a, a, a walk through the book of Judges and but I do want to talk about Judges just a little bit. Because when I, when I open up the book of Judges, when you hit chapter 2, you see um, references to Joshua being alive. And, and it's almost like we kind of take a slight step back. But Joshua chapter 1, or Judges chapter 1, opens up. And we are um, coming into a time period that is very new, brand new for the children of Israel. Up to this point, everyone that's been al uh, that's alive, other than Joshua and Caleb, uh, didn't hadn't lived in Egypt. Um, they hadn't gone through the Red Sea. They hadn't seen the plagues. They, 
They, they, those generations had died off in the wilderness. And so they had just known Moses. And Moses was a very, I almost hate to say this, but he was like a godlike figure to them. He was God to them. He would go before God and he went up the mounts and he um, received the word and then he came back and, and they were like, you go to God for us. His face glowed. He had to wear a veil over his face because it was so bright and, and uh, probably distracted from him preaching to them. Uh, um, and, and Moses always, you know, you guys know those people who you're trying to deal with life and then they're over here. They're right up here. And, uh, you know, maybe people say that about yourselves too. And you're like, well, I'm trying to deal with life. You know, I, I think that about myself. But maybe, maybe someone else out there is going to say, well, are you so holier than thou? I don't know. That's really not a good phrase, right? But, um, but Moses was that guy that when he said, you know, this is what you need to do. And they're like, you know, living life is hard. And he, he was supernatural. Um, you know, he's the one who who would um, hit the rock and the water would come out. And he's the one that when they uh, uh, were speaking against him and then the ground opens up and, and the snakes come in. And it's like, you don't mess with Moses. And they could hear the stories about how he dealt with the Pharaoh. Um, but, so, so they've come from all that. Then they have Joshua. Joshua was put in that position. So Joshua follows right after Moses and we... Um, we talked about the song that they did together in the book of Deuteronomy this last Sunday, but um, Joshua then leads them into the land, and Joshua's a little different. He's more unique, and, and um, when Joshua was told to take his shoe off, it doesn't say shoes, where Moses took both shoes off, he takes off his shoe. Uh, some um, people look at that, and they, they look into that as that represented that Joshua like, had his foot in the spiritual, spiritualness and a foot in the uh, humanity. And you do see that with Joshua because God's like, don't be afraid, Joshua. And the people are like, don't be afraid, Joshua. You got this. You got this. And, and so they get Joshua, who's not in that supernatural position, but the, he's still their leader. He's been through the trials. He's been through the problems. He came out of Egypt, and he knew what it was like to deal with humanity, but also to, to see the miracles working power of God and to have great deliverance. And so Joshua had instructed him, and he had encouraged him, and he had said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He had challenged them. And then it says in verse 1 of Judges chapter 1, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first? You know, when I read this, I thought, Great people and great men had gone before these children of Israel. And they must have thought of themselves as being something somehow less than everyone else. You know, um, when you've had a great hero in your life, I look back at Peter and Paul, in particular those guys, but any of the apostles, and then Stephen, those guys are, are superheroes. Um, Peter, he walks down the street and his shadow touches people and and, and they're the ones who carried this gospel first and they walked with Jesus and so I see them here. And I'm over here. But God did not cause Joshua to, to just live forever in the land of Israel. He brought them in and helped get them established. But then the next generations were supposed to live there. Moses didn't even get to go in because of he didn't speak to the rock the second time. And, and God said, no, you're not even getting to go. And, and they don't have Aaron anymore. They, 
They don't have Miriam there anymore. The people that are in the land of Israel are a lot of nameless people. And yet they're the ones that's been put into the land of promise. Uh, we learn in the New Testament that we're supposed to look back at these people and they're a witness to us and, and they're, they're examples for us so that we can overcome in our day and age. But none of these people are alive today. They long to look in and they long to, to have what you and I have. That's Jesus Christ living in you. And so I want to tell you that Moses wasn't picked to live in the land of Israel. Now, he could have gone across if he hadn't sinned, but, but he wasn't picked to be alive during the times of these judges. Joshua would have been the first guy in, but he wasn't picked to be there at the time of Samson. It was Samson. And there's something that impacts me, whether society is living for God like it ought to, or it seems like we're at the bottom of the barrel and things cannot get any worse. God has still picked you to live for this time. There's something powerful about that. Something that gets a hold of me that God said, I didn't take those great heroes and put them now. I put you right now. Parents, you may think you're the worst parent in the world or maybe you think you're the greatest parent in the world. Um, maybe we need to get a little more balance there. Let's not go one way or the other. I do want you to know that you're the one that's been picked for your child. God placed you in their life. Um, I've told you before, but in the Ten Commandments, we're first supposed to worship the Lord our God, right? But then it says, honor your father and mother. And that's when you move into like the, the human commandments. You get into the back half. But what is interesting to me is that God first deals with him being the creator. But then he deals with your parents. And as parents, you are not going to be flawless. But you are you do have the capability to give your children what God needs you to give them. You've gone through things in your life. Some of it's genetic things. Some of it's uh, um, things that you dealt with. God has given you the tools that you need. And what you don't have, go to God and he will supply it for you. But God has put you in their life at this time. He didn't give, me, he didn't give those children to me. He gave them to you. He didn't give them to, to generations gone by. He didn't give them to your parents or great parents, grandparents. He gave them to you. You are picked for this time. You know, I, I want to hang my head a little bit, but I've been picked to be at my job. You haven't been picked to be at my job. We've been picked for this time. And it's up to us to, do, uh, to decide what it is that we're going to do. So we see in Joshua or Judges chapter 1, that what did they first do? They don't have a new leader handed off to them. Joshua didn't say, okay, I'm going to die, so here's Caleb, or here's Othanel. So the people, they stood there and they said, okay, we're in a spot. What do we do? And what they did at the beginning of Judges, I wish they had done at the end of Judges. But they said, okay, God, what should we do? We've got to go to God. Who should go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? God, what should we do in our situation? If there's something we can learn from the beginning of Judges is when you're in your time, just go to God. You say, okay, I'm just a human. I, I, I don't know that I have the tools or capabilities. You don't need to. 
God picked you for this time. Go to Him and call on Him. Call on Him. I find it interesting, just little tidbits that God called out. Um, he called out Judah. Where does David come from? Judah. If the, the children of Israel at the beginning of Judges had made up their mind that they were going to serve God and follow God, what would have things been like? How would have the history unfolded instead of those ups and downs and ups and downs? Because we see at the end of the book of Judges, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. What does that remind you of? <laughs> it reminds you of Noah and the flood. Everybody's doing their own thing. Oh, go to God in prayer. Go to God in prayer. And don't just go out there and try to do your own thing. Don't let the bookend of your life be that you began in this work saying, you know what, God gave me a promise. He gave me a hope. He gave me a reason to live. And then to treat Him lightly and to, 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 to give up on Him and that it would be your life would end with, I did what was right in my own eyes. I did what was right in my own eyes. But how did they get to that spot? How did they get to that spot? You know what I see? I see is, and I'm not going to read all the verses, but in Judges chapter 1 here, they go to battle and it's Adon Obizanek of in Bezalek. I should have tried to read these just a little bit better before I said it over the pulpit. Um, they're, they're very hard, but what they do? They, they capture the king, right? They cut off his toes and and, and they take him, and eventually he dies. This was somebody they were supposed to have wiped out. And you know what happens when you don't take care of sin in your life? You have to deal with it later. It, it, it comes back to you. you. You've got to deal with sin. In Judges chapter 2, verse 23, they didn't deal with the sin in the nation and with the, the foreigners in the nation that God told them to take care of. So it says, Therefore God left those nations without driving them out hastily. Neither delivered He from them into the hand of Joshua. There's two things that I see here. One, your problem will come back to you. You need to find a place and say, God, we've got to deal with this right now. God, we can't have this. This cannot go on to the next generation. This can't go on to the next generation. But something I do see, and I know I've said it here many times before, God does not walk out on us. And sometimes those problems, some of those thorns in our flesh, God will say, okay, you know what? That particular one right here, I see your human nature. I see where you're at. And I'm going to leave this thing over here because it's going to be what I use to drive you back towards me. So instead of you looking at me and, and, and putting me a tear down, that I can bring you back and turn you back towards me. And so for that, I always want to be thankful when God uses the problems of this life to bring me closer to Him. I refuse to let my problem or the enemy of my soul get any credit I don't want to turn and be downhearted and, and, and I, I'm going to come and I'm going to say thank you Jesus for the problem. Thank you Jesus for the struggle because through it I know that I still need to rely on you. Hallelujah. Let's give him a hand clap. Oh, thank you Jesus. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, but church, I don't care what thorns you have digging at you. I don't care what problems you have coming at you. Don't begin in this walk with God. Don't begin in the promise. And then when you're here, say, you know what? I like this part out in the world over here. I like this thing from the strangers in my land over here. I, I like what they're doing over here. And you begin to relax and to, to compromise. What do we see? We have some examples of this. I, I wrote down, you know, Judges chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. It says, and they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served uh, Balaam in the groves. Oh, that tears at my soul. Why? Well, I got five kids. Parents, are you going to let the things that you look at and say, you know, I think I would like to keep that one over here. I'm not going to drive this one out of my life over here. And, and I, I'm not going to keep this thing at bay. Are, are you going to let things that are in the land be, be, be things that you begin to adopt? And pretty soon you started out living for God, but your children aren't there. The next generation isn't there. Oh, you all, I, I think of Hezekiah. Um, what did he do? Okay, well, you know what? <laughs> At least in my generation. At least we're going to be okay now. And God was like, because you let the enemy in to see everything, you're going to lose it all. In your lifetime, it's fine. But not in your children's lifetime. Oh, parents. Oh, people of God. You may not have any children. You have no excuse to go play in the world. Because when you do, you are damaging the next generation of the church of Omaha. When you entertain sin in your life and you play around with it, what are you doing? You're letting something live here that doesn't belong. You need to go ahead and say, not on my watch, not in my life. It's got to come out. Don't sacrifice your children. And so before we get to Ehud, I want to highlight what Jeremy also highlighted. and As you see them fall into sin time and time again. You see them fall into sin time and time again. They would live for God and they would go back down and they would live for God and they would go back down. When I look at some of this, my heart is troubled and I think, okay, God, what about myself? And I'm going to echo this again in my notes here in a little bit, but I want to tell you, maybe tomorrow's generation won't live for God. But I'm going to go ahead and live for God today. Maybe the two generations from now will give up. I don't know where TCOO will be at. I cry out to God. I want it to last and stay. Maybe the UPCI organization, it, it'll be, maybe it'll become an organization that's a bygone. And there'll be something new formed. I don't know. But the UPCI is not God. It's just an organization. I know that the people of God will overcome. I know that God is going to come back and stand on this earth. And I know there will always be a people for God. And so whether the next generation or those around us decide they're not going to live in this way anymore and they're going to entertain the world, and maybe they'll even give their children over. Not on my watch. Can you say that with me? Not on my 
watch. And so now that brings us to Ehud. That brings us to Ehud. Judges chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. By him the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. I like the little details. It was a double-edged dagger and a cubit in length. <laughs> you know, the, the Bible decided to tell us that. I, 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 we've got so many things to put in here, and it's like, well, it was, it was a cubit in length. It was double-edged. Um, and fastened it under his clothes, under his right thigh. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. He had strategy there. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And what did Eglon say? Keep silence. I can see him. Keep silence. And everybody leaves. Eglon liked the tribute that he had received. Ehud. Ehud gets in there, and we already read the verse, but when he gets alone, he takes out a dagger, and he kills him. Ehud, the Bible tells us that the children of Israel had cried out, and God raised Ehud up. So immediately when I read this, I see, ah, oh, the children of Israel, they're tired of being in bondage, and, and, and they, they've decided, you know what, I need to get back to God. Our rock isn't like their rock, right? They, they, they got their, their mind a little more straightened, and they said, we need to get back to God. They begin to cry out. Do you know how much land Eglon had taken for ruling over them 18 years and getting their tribute? One city. And you know what that city was? The city of Palms. Jericho. They had built over there at that, by the place of Jericho that God had destroyed and brought the walls down. It was a supernatural destruction. And yet what did they do? They begin to play around in sin. And an enemy comes in and he takes one city and with one city in all of their land rules over them for 18 years. The enemy will come into your life and get a little toehold in there. And then you're like, oh no, oh no, I, I, I need to, to watch out. What, what's the devil going to do in my life? If I praise him too much, what's going to happen? And, and you start to submit yourself to an enemy in your life, to fear, to doubt. You submit to unbelief. It gets a hold of you and you panic and you don't want to take a stand for God. You don't want to get out there and pray. You know, I thought of that. I'm going to hit it again. I hit it a lot of services. This stupid coronavirus. We watched 14 children stand on this platform. 15 people that got the Holy Ghost. Where? What would have happened? I know God can do anything. But if you as a church had been afraid to pray with them, because I can't get too close to somebody, because if I get too close and I tell them Jesus loves them and he wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost, go ahead and raise your hands. If there wasn't teachers that would go back in that wing every Sunday because they were too scared of a virus, it got one toehold in their life and you give up everything because you're submitted to fear. 
Don't do it. Don't do it. And that's just an example. But you have situations on your job. You have threats from family. I'll disown you. Oh, what will happen if I, if I share with this person over here at my job what they need right now when they're crying out? Or, or, or if, I, if I don't go to this particular uh, um, family get-together because I know that there's something about it and I shouldn't be there. And they're like, oh, uh, um, if you don't show up, this is what we're, you're not family. No, take a stand for God. Take a stand for God. Getting off things just slightly here. But Ehud, you know what? It says Ehud was called by God. But what do I, now let's put this into real life now. Did Ehud know he was called by God? We don't read a single thing where it says, Bishop, it doesn't say, where he came down and God said, Ehud, I have called you to deliver the children of Israel. No. God raised up Ehud. You know what I see? I see God looking over there and saying, there's someone right there who's going to take a stand for me. Do you know what the name Ehud means? I will praise. I will praise. And so Ehud gets called by the people. They said, hey, Ehud, he must have been some kind of man that was a bit popular, or maybe he's the only guy that would go. We need you to take tribute to the king who has one city, one foothold in our nation for the last 18 years. And here's what we want to bring in. Ehud's like, mm-hmm, I have a plan. <laughs> I've got some. We don't see that Ehud said, let me take tribute. I'm going to kill the king. We don't see him form a government. We don't see him have an army built up while well, he's going to lead the people. We don't see anything in Ehud's life where he was visited by an angel, spoke to mightily by God, that his dad said to him, Ehud, you're going to be the deliverer. You need to do something. We don't see some dramatic moment in Ehud's life. We just see that I will praise, says I have an opportunity, I'm going to see Eglon. And he takes that dagger and he strategically places it because he knew where they were going to be looking. They were going to be looking for somebody who was normally right-handed, reaching over and pulling out. And, and he's like, but if I put it over here, they won't pay attention. Do you know how bold that is? That he didn't get a pat down and they discovered the dagger? Well. He, he, he said, I'm going to do what I can do. Oh, my life is on the line. You, you can see it right there. That's, his life was on the line. We don't need it written out. We can see it. And Ehud says, I'm going to go do something about, if I can call him this beast, this beast. He was going to do something about Eglon. You know what Eglon is? Look it up. What I looked up, I saw circle or calf. Do you know what the calf is? It's those oxen. Those calves, the golden calves they made statues to. Those golden calves that they, they worshipped when they were in the desert. Those golden calves that came back to haunt them later in the book of Judges. And, 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 um, and later on you said Jehoshaphat, I believe, on Sunday, Bishop. And, and the golden calf. And what is Israel compared to but a stiff-necked people? Why? Because they took the identity of these, these calves. It became what they were identified with, a stubborn and stiff-necked people. Always uh, against God. God who would save them and deliver them. And then they'd uh, against him. Well, what do we have? We have Eglon, this calf. And we have praise that goes to meet him. And where does he meet him at? But a place called Gilgal. 
Oh, he met him at a place that's identified with worship. It's a place where we see Samuel go and offer sacrifice. It's a place that not far from there, um, Abraham built his first altar when he came into the land. Oh, something happened at Gilgal and the enemy uh, 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 has come in there. And there isn't just this enemy known as the calf. But there's also statues over there. There's, there's all these statues to other gods. The place had been corrupted. And, and I will praise makes his way to a place that was their identity, not Eglon's identity. And he makes his way over there and, and, and he meets the king. He meets him. At Gilgal, it was to be a place of worship. It's where they first encamped when they came out from the desert into the land of promise. It's where they got their directions to go forward. Oh, remember when they finally came in and they took down Jericho and the walls went flat with praise, with worship? And so praise walks in. And when praise walks in, the Bible distinctly tells us Distinctly tells us, verse 19, he says, But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you. And then in verse 20, when he began his message, it says, Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. You know, I asked myself, well, where's the praise in this? Well, you can see right away just the action of him going, saying, I'm going to do something about this. But he didn't just say, I'm going to do something. He said, I have a message from God. Oh, we see David on the battlefield, and he says, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. Well, I have, it. I have Ehud over here, and he says, I have a message from God. We had the three Hebrew children that said, I won't bow, right? What were they saying? I've taken a stand for God that he can deliver us. We have Ehud in all of his actions, putting the sword there, going in there. And then he's, you can see God standing behind him as he, if the idols were over here at the place of worship, a place that was for, meant to be for God, a place near the place where Abraham had first sacrificed. And he turns his back on those idols. Uh-uh. You can see in his action, I don't put my trust in you. I don't care that you're over here. You're just stone. And I'm facing somebody who has dominated us for 18 years. And I'm one man. And I've come here and the people sent me to bring their tribute. And perhaps they would be afraid that all war would break out. And they would be slaughtered. But I don't care. I've got myself a dagger. And I have a message from God. Somebody needs to get a hold of the Word of God. And you need to go and you need to strap it into your heart. And you need to stand before and turn your back on fear, doubt, and unbelief. You need to turn your back on all those things that have ever bound you up. And all those words in your mind that said your family can't be saved. Deliverance can't happen. God has no use for you. Put your back on that. And you need to turn and say to the enemy, I have a message from God. Oh, say to that problem that has tried to rule and dominate you all your life. I have a message from God. Oh, hear it. Hear it. Pull out the word. Get out the scripture. Get out your double-edged sword. It's a two-edged sword. Get it out. Get it out. <laughs> and you know what the enemy will say to everything around? <laughs> Kill it. 
keep silence. Oh, there's trembling. They're shaking. Yeah, but I have a message from God. A message from God. You know, how did Ehud get there to start with? Well, I told you about that he had a, a thing going on, right? A desire. But it's also because a cry went out. A cry went out. I looked through, I did the search, and a cry went out, and Othanel rose. You know who Othanel was? He was uh, Caleb's brother. He was the one that took this mountain. He's, he's the one that went in there and said, okay, I got, I'm capturing your promise there. He, he's the one. Um, we see it with Deborah. We see it with Ehud. We see it with Gideon. We see it with Jephthah. You know who we didn't see it with? This was interesting to me. We didn't see it with Samson. Pastor Jeremy talked about last week. We didn't see it with Samson. You know something else that stood out at me? And I got this uh, looking at Chris Paris's book and had never really thought about it before. We didn't see his mother get a child because she cried out to God. We, we didn't see a cry ever occur until we see Samson between the pillars saying, give me my, my strength, God, one more time. Let me have vengeance. Samson didn't rule from a place of a cry. And sometimes we're in the house of God, but we don't have our cry anymore. And so we get distracted and we get pulled away and, and we begin to lust after other things because our zeal and passion for everything all about God is gone. You know what will happen when you have a zeal and passion for God? The, the little irritants become smaller. I'm not saying that you don't get a piece of sand in your shoe. But you're much more happy to be on the journey because you're like, I got a destination. I'm over here. I, I, I want to be over there. And you're, they're like, well, but it's, it's, it's a two-hour walk. You know, uh, uh, my oldest, she's doing cross-country. She ran in 95-degree weather on Monday. Three miles. Why? Because I want to cross that finish line. And every bit of sweat and every bit of struggle. And girls were passing out there on the, on the run. And, 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 but there's just, a, there's just a scratch there. But I see it over there. And I'm going to be the one that runs that race. We go as parents to watch. And, and my wife will tell you, she doesn't, she gets wore out, she'll say. She's like, this is hot out here. What are we doing? We're running from one place to the next. I try to catch six places on that trail. And I can't keep pace with them. So I have to cut corners. I cut the line, right? And, and, and we, we get over there. Why? Because we don't care about the heartache and the headache. But if someone said, hey, could you just go over here and stand outside 90 degree weather and walk all around for a couple hours? I'm like, that's stupid. Why? You don't have a goal. You don't have a purpose. You don't have a cry that came out of you that said, God, I want you. I want everything about you. What do we need to do? Hear me, God. I can't live this way anymore. Oh, hear us, God. And when a cry comes out and it begins to well up, that's how you save your city is by crying out. I know it looks intimidating. I know you can't hardly see how it can be done. But hear us, God. Save our land. Save this people. 
save them. And you know, Ehud and, 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 um, and Deborah, and they could have looked back. They could have said, well, you know what? We, seems like, like we just keep falling back in. We keep going back, and we keep sinning. So why do I want to try anything now? Let me tell you again. I may not be able to do anything for the decisions of the next generation. Maybe they won't fall in this way. But I'm going to do something right now for the people living. Maybe I can't do anything in China or closer to home in Washington, D.C. Or even for the whole state of Nebraska. But I can do something in my neighborhood. I can do something in my home. I can do something where I live at. Hear us, God. Let your cry go up. Let your cry go up. And so the cry went up and the cry went out and praise made his decision. Because God, even though Ehud maybe didn't know that God was calling him, God was calling him. And God has called each and every one of you. And so you think you're just frustrated by the situation. God's calling you. You think, you know, somebody has to do something about this. God is calling you. You, sit, you look over and you see that one um, that, that you invite into church because you're like, there's a soul right there. God called you. You see that child praying and, and you're moved and you begin to pray with them. God has pulled you on to care for them. So don't be afraid. God puts you on this mission. And he doesn't have to just yell into your ear every time. I called you. He's pulling on your heart because he knows you care. And when your care meets up with God's care, oh, it changes things. When you have a cry and God's reaching in, it changes things. It changes things. So praise. Praise goes and praise is infectious. Praise says, okay, I can do this. What, what is it about praise? When you begin to praise God, and we talk about worship in spirit and in truth, and I want to encourage you. I tell you, I've told you over this platform, I've told you personally, worship God with the truth of where you're struggling. Worship him for where you're at. Tell him about your problem, your situation. Be honest with him about where you're at. Why? Because in doing that, you, you're, you're bringing it to him. So when you say, God, we're in bondage, and I just don't know what to do. If you were a child in Israel... God, we're in bondage. I can't live this way anymore. You're immediately entrusting him with this thing that you're afraid of. But then when you step forward and you begin to say, and you begin to say, God, I know that you can overcome anything. And God, I'm making a decision to live for you no matter what. And God, I place my hope in you. And God, I won't bow my knee. And God, I don't care. I'm with you in sickness and in health. Until death do us part. God, I'm with this all the way. What are you doing? You're elevating him. God, you're holy. God, you're mighty. There's nobody greater than you. And pretty soon, your back is turned to these idols over here. And praise begins to elevate God. And to magnify him in the situation. Mm, hallelujah. And God, who has been watching your every step. And has been with you all the way. I don't know how he's going to deal with your problem. I don't want to give you something where, where I say, and your situation is going to be all gone. He may choose to have you walk through the problem. Maybe you're fighting cancer and, and God says, you know what, I think it's time to call you home. God has made the decision in your life and he's taken you to someplace better. 
So I don't want to give you something that says, um, boom, everything's just going to be gone. But what you have done is you have placed God over it, and you will overcome that problem. You will, go, you will be right where God needs you to be. And that problem has no say and no choice in the matter because you placed it under the authority of Jesus Christ. And so we need to give Him praise, honor, and glory. Praise. Praise is infectious. Praise gets a hold. When you begin to praise God in the house of God, people begin to reach over throughout the audience and they begin to praise and they begin to worship and your voices join together and victory begins to happen here and there because fear is crushed as you begin to, to tie into the love of Jesus and His perfect love comes in and it casts out all fear. Oh, God. Can we stand to our feet? Praise, be seized. Ehud went, and he ran back into the land. And when praise ran back into the land, he said, come on, this is what's happened. We can do this. And everyone else out there, you got Ephraim, right? And they stand up and they say, okay, let's go to battle. You know what? I couldn't do it on my own. I gave you tribute to take. I thought I just had to pacify the enemy. But if you are going to take a stand, I'm going to take a stand. So I just want to close out tonight, and we're just going to give some praise to God. And, and as we go that way, I, I've got a couple verses from Psalms chapter 34. But David, when he was in a predicament right here, when David was in the camp of Abimelech, and things didn't look great, and he had to act himself a little crazy, he writes in his situation, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So as I read this, I want us to begin to worship God. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Oh, go ahead and lift your voice. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto Him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. Oh, hallelujah. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and deliver him. I will bless the Lord at all times. Hallelujah. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, let your praise arise. Oh, I'm turning my back on the enemy. Oh, I'm getting some confidence and faith. Oh God, no matter how you walk me through the situation, you're my deliverer. I will not be afraid of what the enemy can do. My fear and hope is in the Lord. Hallelujah. One more time. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You're holy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, the man that trusteth in him. 
Oh, fear the Lord, ye saints, for there is no want to them that fear Him. Oh, I won't be afraid of the terror by night. Oh, so I want to tell you today that when praise comes and faces the gods of this world, and praise turns His back on all those things that, that would have said, I rule over you, and begins to erupt towards God and put His trust in God, go ahead and say it, I have a message from God. And take that message. Why? Because your praise will overcome. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One more time, give Him a hand clap.